as one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Into the republic for which it stands. The Democratic National Committee is located in the Watergate office building. The burglars forced a stairwell door, then taped its latch open. Well, I'm not a crook. I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. One nation under God. This is as close as we can get to the base of the World Trade Center. And you can see the two towers, a huge explosion now raining debris on all of us. We better get out of the way. Good Lord, there are no words. Indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Title IX, the landmark civil rights law. It marked a watershed moment for women's rights when it passed in 1972. And the Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade. Legal Anatomy of Current Events, preparing for launch. Legal Anatomy of Current Events, launch sequence started. D-16, IU green to go, propellants pressurized. T minus 15, legal anatomy of current events. SC ready and green to go. T minus 14, FOS ready, green to go. T minus 12, S1C fuel tank pressurized. T minus 11, SC green to go. Legal anatomy of current events, green to go. T minus 10, internal power, green to go. LES ready for ignition. T minus 9, 8, 7. We have ignition. Five, four, commit for launch. Green, three, two, one. We have liftoff. Repeat, we have liftoff. Legal anatomy of current events, all for you. Now on the air, target locked. Good morning, America. Welcome to Legal Anatomy of Current Events. I'm Gary Bell. Along with Brad Pollock, our law firm is Bell and Pollock. We're out of Denver. Colorado, and we bring the show to you each week to give you a legal analysis and legal breakdown of current events in our country. We want to do it, and we're glad to do it. Today, we're talking about the Trump indictment. And if you ever wanted to know what those charges really mean, what they really are, and if you want to know what the thread of evidence is to support those charges, because people say, hey, those charges are all trumped up. They're all this, they're all that, and they're not going to stand, they're not going to hold. If you want to know what they are, then hang with us today. Go on this ride with us today, because we're going to tell you what the charges are. We're going to give you the breakdown on the charges, and we're going to give you a look-see into the thread of proof for these charges. Okay, we've got this indictment out of the Southern District of New York uh, DA's office. As we all know, that's one of the biggest and most successful uh, districts and DA's offices uh, in the country. Dealing with the Southern District of New York, and uh, we, we you got to talk about if you're going to talk about these Trump indictments, you got to talk about Alan Weisenberg, and you got to talk about Michael Cohen, and how do they fit in? But first, we're going to give you kind of a flavor. You know, uh, Brad, when when you look at the normal criminal case, and somebody's going to get on the stand and testify, and they're going to the normal criminal case, and you you say somebody's struck a deal. You struck a deal with the prosecutor, and so the deal is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on the, st- the stand, and I'm going to uh, testify, but I want a reduced deal for my tes- testimony. I want a good deal. I want immunity. I don't want to go to jail, so therefore I'm going to cough it all up. And so defense lawyers love that because they get to cross-examine the, the witness 
on the stand. And one of the way they, they start the cross-examination is they say, isn't it true, sir, isn't it true, ma'am, that you struck a deal over here with the district attorney? You've got a special deal to save your own soul, to save yourself. And so, Brad, let's cover that in general, and then we'll get to Alan Weissenberg and uh, Michael Cohen in this case. Well, let's talk about striking a deal. If, if you're at a point where you're striking a deal, that means you've done something wrong, and you're trying to get out from underneath what you did wrong or the DA at least has enough to put you through the heartache and the, uh, the hassle and the, the extreme, uh, I guess I would say, uh, 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 pressure and, 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 and just miserable part of a life of being um, prosecuted by the DA. Your deal is, is you're hoping, if you've struck a deal, that you have something the DA wants from you and in return, the DA is willing to either give up the boat and not come after you, or is willing to uh, is is willing to have a, a lesser degree of charging you. So what what happens if you strike a deal means you're usually an insider. You usually have some information. You usually have something that you can say or or tell the DA, or you can tell a jury that's going to help the DA get the person they want to get versus getting you. And you're in turn going to get a, a, some kind of deal that's going to be a lesser plea, a lesser, a lesser charge, lesser time going to jail, lesser fine. But you've gotten yourself in a position where you have something the DA wants. The DA has to get it from you, and so you strike a deal. Right, and so they usually need insider information to get a, a conviction on many complicated cases, especially conspiracy cases. You need one conspirator to testify against another co-conspirator. You need that. Uh, and without it, it's too much tougher for the DAs to prove it. But everybody look at this. You're talking about a deal, a deal. Well, what, you talk about Alan Weisselberg. Did he strike a deal? No. You talk about uh, Michael Cohen. Did he strike a deal? No. And so that's what we're trying to show you today. In the normal situation, right, in the normal situation, the witness gets on the stand and has not been sentenced yet, hasn't gone to jail, wanting, wanting to avoid jail. So they get on and they testify. Then the defense attorneys go after them, right? Isn't it true you got a deal? Isn't it true you got immunity? Isn't it true that you struck a deal with the DA right over here sitting in this courtroom? You struck a special deal to keep yourself out of jail. So they're attacking their believability or their credibility. But, Brad, in this case, Alan Weisselberg, he's already in Rikers. He already, I mean, there's no deal unless there's new information, and we've got to say that, and there might be, but there's, there's no deal being struck. Or because he already pleaded guilty to his crimes, and Michael Cohen has already been to jail. He went to prison. Uh, I think he was sentenced to three years. So in the typical sense, the ordinary sense, there's no deal uh, to attack uh, if these men testify in this trial. Well, that obviously takes a, an arrow out of your quiver as far as if you're the defense lawyer trying to protect somebody and trying to discredit a witness by not having some evidence of a deal that they've made, some way they've tried to save their own bacon, so to speak and avoid uh, the jail time or the, the prosecution. Um, the, the, you know, we never know what's going on behind the scenes. Defense attorneys hope they know and that they can identify what's going on behind the scenes so they can use it against uh, the, the witness. But the, the cleanest witness is one who doesn't have any kind of deals, who doesn't have any concerns, has already paid their price to society, or has already gone through what they were, they're going to go through. And maybe the most you can do is say it's a, it's a form of vengeance. It's a form of trying to get even. It's trying form of trying to get back at a person uh, that they're willing to testify. But 
uh, the, the, the question is, is why would they lie now? Uh, all they're putting themselves in harm's way of is a perjury charge. And so they're going to get up and they're going to tell the truth because th- th- they've got nothing to gain or lose. It's just right there. Right. My th- and think about it like this. When district attorneys try to prosecute cases, they want corroborating evidence. I mean, what were there, 34 counts? Donald Trump, was he pled not guilty to 34 counts uh, in the Southern District of New York. And for each count... Each count, district attorneys and prosecutors want documents, and they want corroborating evidence. What does that mean? That means they might want some more corroborating documents that corroborate, support, prove the original story, original proof, original claim, or they may want may want uh, testimony, or both, or all of the above. So, Brad, corroborating evidence is critical, especially when you bring criminal charges and your burden of proof is beyond a reasonable doubt. Well, sure. I mean, once again, as much evidence as possible. And you get that corroborating evidence from people who have been involved in the illegal acts. Usually, when we're talking about the kind of stuff we're talking about and uh, the charges that we're talking about, and when we're talking about involving uh, checks that are not appropriate or bookkeeping entries that are not appropriate, when we're talking about that kind of stuff, there's more than one person involved. You'd have to decide as the DA who you want to go after. Once you decide who you want to go after, now you've got corroborating evidence, and how do you get that? Well, you have the books and you have the records. Now you have to identify who put those records together, who put those books together, who did what. And what was their intent at the time? What was their knowledge at the time? Well, the best way to do that is to have evidence and then have somebody corroborate the evidence and say yes. And if you get a couple, three people stacked up, saying this is the this is the rule, this is the way it was, this is the law, or, or this is what happened, then you have a stronger case. Yeah, think of it like this. If you, if you have a document that you want to prove is fraudulent, like maybe an invoice or a bill or a check, and if you have one person testifying about that it was fraudulent, that's great. If you got a document that supports it, something that was made up, like an email, and so this, this document is made up, or, you know, we got we to gotta jimmy this document a certain way, then that's a piece, piece of paper that corroborates it. But also, it's nice if you have individual number two and three and four, if you have four individuals to say, this, this document is all fraudulent right here. So your case gets stronger if you have corroborating documents, uh, corroborating evidence, right? I want to give you an example. Think about this. For those of you who remember uh, Charlie Manson, Right in the old days, uh, he, I mean, he he was convicted, but he was convicted of murder of the Tate LaBianca murders. I mean, gruesome stuff. I mean, these people were be- beaten and pounded fifty times, seventy-five times in the head, over a hundred times in the head. Gruesome stuff. But the DA in a later interview said, "I was really worried about convicting Charlie Manson because he never was at the scene. He didn't do the act. He was back at his ranch doing whatever he's doing, but he wasn't there." And so it took the testimony of somebody they gave a deal to, and she was on the stand for days, days. And he finally got a, he finally got a conviction in Charlie Manson. So let's get down to Donald Trump's charges, Brad. I mean, he's got 34 charges um, here. Let's, let's talk about Weisselberg, and then we're down to the charges. Alan Weisselberg, on the face of it, doesn't seem to have much participation, although we could be surprised. Everybody could be surprised. Alan Weisselberg went to Rikers for five months. Uh, he was five months in jail uh, because he, he was receiving all kinds of benefits, luxury condominiums, uh, Mercedes-Benz cars, all kinds of benefits, and not reporting them as income, and, they, and that were his charges. That didn't really relate to the payoffs of these women. But Michael Cohen, 
He went to jail. Think about this. He pleaded guilty to $4 million in personal income uh, that he hid from the IRS, so that's really not going to apply to this one. He he pled guilty to lying to a bank. That's really not going to apply to this one. But think about this. He caused $280,000 in payments to be made to silence two women who otherwise were going to speak out, and he did, they said, with the intent to influence the election in 2016. There's the critical part, with the intent to influence the election. Brad, bring us up to date on that. Well, again, you know, uh, uh, usually when you're, when you're involved in some kind of payoff, it's not done alone. Uh, and you, and you, you, the payoff is only as good as the money you're giving them until the run, money runs out. It, 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 to me, it's, it's kind of interesting that we, we have this situation where we thought or where anybody thought that, well, we'll go give one of the women $150,000, another one of the women $130,000, and somehow that was going to silence them and nothing was going to come out and no, no information would come out. You know, but that being set aside, you know, the, the, the situation gets put together that Michael Cohen, and, and we're all speculating to a degree, uh, did Michael Cohen, was he really working for Donald Trump at the time? Was he really carrying out Donald Trump's wishes? And everybody has put that together. Everybody has said that's what it is. But that's got to be proved in a court of law. And in a court of law, they're going to have to get Michael Cohen on the stand, and they're going to have to show what he did and what he didn't do. And it's going to have to be um, something that a jury is going to hear, and it's going to be subject to cross-examination. And whether or not Michael Cohen was doing this uh, for, as at the direction of Donald Trump or the Trump organization, whether or not he was doing it at the direction of somebody else in the Trump organization and not directly from Donald Trump. The, the question is, is what exactly was he doing and how was he doing it and what were his, and, and, and how was he put it being structured and who all was involved? There's, there's a lot of people out there who would think that Trump never would have dirtied his hands by stooping to the point of getting involved in how the transactions were going to be recorded in the books. Um, that'd be more like uh, you'd be expecting him to say, you guys go take care of this, and uh, I'll stand behind you. And, of course, what might have gotten Michael Cohen as mad as anything to say, I'm going to come out and maybe tell the truth. Maybe he's telling the truth. But it might have been... When it came time to take the hit, when it came time to go to jail, when it came time to go to prison, uh, Donald Trump wasn't there to help him and and have him avoid uh, spending that time in prison. So, you know, it sometimes gives people motivation motivation for for revenge testimony or whatever. But let's get down to the charges on Donald Trump. I mean, thirty four felony count charges. All right, eleven counts, eleven charges relating to checks, checks that were written. So, if you're a prosecutor, there's a document. Now you need some corroboration, right? We've got 11 checks, so, so we're going to charge with 11 checks. We've got 11 um, monthly invoices of Michael Cohen. So we got checks, we got monthly invoices, so there's different documents. So each one's a separate count. Each one has to be, has to be proved in a court beyond a reasonable doubt. And then there are 12 entries uh, in what's called the Donald Trump uh, Trust. I'm not sure the exact name of it, but there was a trust set up, and there's 12 entries on the ledgers pertaining to monies. So that old Watergate, you know, maxim, follow the money. So now we're going to get down into some of the charges. But, but 
Donald Trump is charged with 34 counts of the New York Penal Law Section 175.10. That's 175.10. Brad, the, the fascinating, unbelievably fascinating part of these charges are that he's been charged with falsifying these business records in the first degree. What does that mean? That's a misdemeanor. Well, what makes it go to a felony? What brings it up to the status of a felony, right? He, he's been charged with 34 counts of falsifying business records. But when you falsify the business records, and how do you get it to be a second degree falsification? Because you have to have the intent. You falsify the business record with the intent to commit another crime. There's the difference. When you falsify a business record in New York with the intent to commit another crime, then it's going to become a felony. But, Brad, you don't have to be convicted of the second crime. You just have to have an intent to commit the second crime. Or to hide the second crime or to, uh, or to, to aid in the commission of the second crime. Uh, so, so, yeah, and, and what would be the second crime here? The second crime would be to adversely influence a, an election. Uh, that's w- what it was for. Now, you know, it, it, it's interesting to me that we, we had so many, when all this was coming out, we had so many politicians that were sitting there saying before they even saw the charges that they were drumped up, trumped up, or before they were saying that before they even saw the charges that they they really shouldn't be considered crimes or they shouldn't be considered anything bad. Or that they're frivolous and there's nothing there. Or that it doesn't matter. It was his own books, and the books weren't pub- published to anybody else. So what's it matter? Uh, you know, uh, the, 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 but nobody has seen the the meat behind the the, the charges that were being made. Uh, instead, they were all just either having uh, positions of he's guilty or he's not guilty, or these are ridiculous charges or they're not ridiculous charges, or we're going to go after the DA or we're not going to go after the DA, be based on really political affiliation and whether you like Donald Trump or not. Uh, you hope when you get into a courtroom uh, and you start having a jury that you're going to have a jury that's not going to have those preconceived notions. And they're going to be sitting there saying, okay, show us the law and show us the facts and let's see what it is. But your point all along has been, and you and I have talked about it, your your point all along has been, as they say, they were criticizing these charges and criticizing the Manhattan DA and criticizing the Southern District of New York, but nobody at that time knew what the charges were. No, as a matter of fact, it, it it makes us highly suspicious because they were they were there not only already making a decision as to whether or not it was a valid charge or not a valid charge or valid indictment or not invalid indictment without knowing one bit of facts, without even knowing what the inchar- charges were. And at the same time, they they were already passing judgment or going after the DA, saying the DA was doing this for political purposes. Uh, but they didn't know the law. They didn't know they didn't know what the crimes were. They didn't know what the charges were. Uh, they were saying this before anything came out. Uh, but you know, in my cynical way of doing things and looking at things, I'm going okay. Uh, a lot of them thought that the charges were tied into campaign funding. And you've got a bunch of politicians who all of whom 
depend on campaign funding. And they're sitting there saying there should be no crime affiliated with how the campaign funding is handled, either by getting it or spending it or what you do with it, or at least saying any charge is is ridiculous because it's got to be politically motivated. Right. Okay, so back to the charges with Trump. They've got 11 counts with involving checks. So think. let's just break it down one at a time. Think about you're the prosecutor. Now you're going to introduce this check into evidence, check number one, let's say. Introduce it into evidence. Well, how are you going to prove it's fraudulent? How are you going to prove it's falsified? How are you going to prove that document right there was falsified in order to have the intent to commit a second crime? That is, interfere with the election. It doesn't matter if you committed the second crime, just the intent. So you got the check. All right, do I have witnesses that can corroborate the check? Yes. This person can identify the check. This person can identify the check. Can a third person identify? Mr. Witness number one, is this, is this check really for what it's written for? No. Mr. Witness number two, is this check really what it's written for? No. Witness number three, ma'am, was this check really what it's, what it's written for? No, it's made up, it's false, it's fraudulent. That's where you start to corroborate the evidence. Right, but we haven't seen that. No. As a matter of fact, as best I can tell, looking at it, we have one person who's going to say that. Because most of these checks were checks that were made out in one form or another to Robert Cohen. Um, they, some of them might, might have been for to other people trying to reimburse for the the what is it? By the time Robert Cohen got through, he Michael gave Cohen. Michael Cohen. I'm sorry. By the time Michael Cohen got through, thanks for straightening me out on that. By the time Michael Cohen got through, I think it was well over a quarter of a million dollars that he spent. I mean, he didn't he pay off both? It was, and then he trapped on a little bonus, little bonus for himself, and then they decided to give him an extra bonus, which we're going to get into when we get to the threat of the proof here. We promised we'd get there, but you know, don't forget, you're listening to uh, Legal Anatomy of Current Events. If you want to contact us, you can contact us at info, I-N-F-O, info at legalanatomy.net, and we'll be glad to interact with you. You can contact us anytime. Our law firm is Bell and Pollock. We're out of Denver, Colorado, and we're glad to do this show for you each week. All right, let's get down to the thread of what the evidence is supposed to show, Brad. So you got you got to think about this. It's the summer of 2016. The election's coming up. When's it going to be? November 2016? It's going to be in November. So there's now well, person number one, lady number one, she's threatening to come out and tell very, very damaging information, they think. So they gotta they gotta pay her money. Then we got lady number two, who's got they've got an attorney. I think they both have the same attorney. Lady number two is gonna come out and say very damaging things right before the election in in 2016. So how's this? What's the evidence gonna show? Well, number one, see, um, Donald Trump began his, his campaign on June 16, 2015. That's a year before, okay? Now uh, so in in about August of 2015, there's a media company, you all know who it is, Popular Tadmoid Magazine, that basically said if something, something negative comes out, they'll funnel the information to Michael Cohen, and then Michael Cohen will put into action some plan, maybe to get an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement, pay him money for silence, right? And so, and on the face of it, you might say, well, what's, what, wait, wait a minute, what's wrong with that? I mean, can can people pay money to keep quiet? Uh, they can, unless it's a crime. So there, there, there's one of the there's one of the things we're going to have to, to going to have to grapple with. And then we got um, Cohen, who bought and paid off two separate women, Brad. But if you follow the money, what do you find? 
Well, you find where the source came from. And when you follow the money, you see that the money went to the women, but you also see that the source uh, was ultimately, ultimately, it, it appears, from everything we see right now, ultimately Donald Trump. Um, was it Donald Trump campaign funds? Was it Donald Trump's own money? Was it a mixture of both? Uh, what exactly are they going to be able to prove as to where that money came from? Uh, we're talking at that point $280,000. Uh, that should be something that Donald Trump could have afforded without blinking an eye and not having a problem. So he didn't have to take campaign funds uh, if he chose to. He could take his own personal funds. He could take his own personal funds. So, uh, all right, so you're a person and you've had an affair, you're married, and you're about to be doing something that's going to have public exposure or, or at least high exposure, and you decide that you don't want anybody else knowing about your affair. Especially, you don't want your wife and ch- and kids knowing. Well, the election's that. coming up in November 2016. It's coming up. Sure, the election's coming up, and of course, you know, can there be dual purposes for what was going on? Maybe there could have been. Uh, maybe there could have been a thing where Trump is saying, you know, I'm I got this election, and this could hurt me on the election. But even more so, I don't want my wife to know about this, and so I want to keep these people quiet. Um, okay, so the threat of evidence starts to deal with what the, what the prosecution says, and we don't know all the facts, but what the prosecution says is that documents were falsified. Falsified. We got checks, invoices. We got payments out of a trust, the Trump trust. The documents were falsified with the intent to commit a crime in the future. An intent. You don't have to commit the crime. And, and so let's go back just for a second to a statement by the prosecution, Southern District in New York. Here's what the prosecutor said. Quote, the defendant, Donald J. Trump, falsified New York business records in order to conceal an illegal conspiracy to undermine the integrity of the 2016 presidential election. So you got the falsification of a document, he says, and you've got the intent to commit a crime, you don't have to prove they committed the crime. Okay, Brad, so now how are we going to get these money to these two women to shut them up and not say anything right before everybody casts their ballot here? Well, in this case, they went to Michael Cohen, and they talked to Michael Cohen, and they said, you got to go buy him off. you got to do something to stop this from happening. Uh, the problem is, is in this day and age, there's so much uh, transparency with respect to the records that all of them knew when minute they were sitting down saying, we're going to have to pay these women some money to shut them up. Uh, and, and once again, I, I think you make a very valid point. It's got to be understood. If the money was being paid to influence the election, then it could be a crime. If the money was being paid so that Melania doesn't find out, it may not be a crime. Right. So, you know, you go to Michael Cohen either way. If you're Donald Trump, you're not going to go to ladies at direct and you say, go, go try and make a deal. Or you go to the radio station or the TV station or the magazine. Or the tabloid. Or the tabloid. And you say, go make a deal. Buy, the, buy that. And, and when you buy the story, bury it. Or you go to Michael Cohen and you say, go, 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 buy, go, go buy their silence. And, you know, Michael Cohen says, okay, I'm going to go buy their silence. 
Right, and in, in, the, in the media business, it's called catch and kill. You catch the story, you pay it off, and you kill it. And that's, that's, the, that's the lingo. But let's just take a break a second. Let's go back to what Michael Cohen pleaded guilty to. We're not interested in his tax fraud and tax evasion and all that. Here's what the prosecutor's interested in. Michael Cohen pleaded guilty. That means that he's admitting to every element of what I'm about to read you, what I'm about to tell you. He's admitting to making $280,000 in payments to be made to silence two women who otherwise plan to speak publicly about their alleged affairs with a presidential candidate. And watch this, watch this, hang on, thereby intending to influence the 2016 presidential election. That's what he pleaded guilty to. He paid the money intending to commit a crime. That relates directly to the charges against Donald Trump in the Southern District. In which you got to remember is there's a lot of people out there who pay a lot of money intending to influence an election. Right. I mean, you know, it, it, take a look sometime at all the signs that are on the street and the billboards that are up there and figure out there's somebody who's paid a lot of money to try to influence an election. But they say that billboard's true. That billboard's correct. I didn't falsify business records to have the intent to influence. That's right. They didn't pay. And and so you go back to Michael Cohen. Uh, If Michael Cohen says, I'm paying money to try and influence the election. That's one thing. I'm paying money to try and silence these women from talking about their affair they had with a married man. That's another thing. But I'm paying money to try to, and, and Michael Cohen knows what he did was wrong. And so do the Trump people know what he did was wrong. And, and the reason you know the way they did, that they knew what they did was wrong is because when they went to pay him, they made so many false categories and, and descriptions of why the money was being paid. Right. For, for example, they call a payment for $30,000 for a legal retainer, but there was no legal retainer. Right. They'd create an invoice for services that never were done. What one might wonder how, how this would be looked at if there would have been a check made payable to Michael Cohen saying reimbursement for hush money to Stormy Daniels. Bingo. Bingo. Is that, is that now uh, falsifying? Is that falsifying it? It, You know, you, you wonder now it, okay. You don't want to put that into your, into your, your books and records. Um, I'm not sure why though, when you're Donald Trump and you've got your own private business and unless you're reporting that as a write-off to the government, um, you know, the next step would be, why did you want to silence Ms. Daniels? Well, yeah, but Brad, the whole gravamen of the case, the whole case out of the Southern District is the fact that they falsified, they claim, and this is all claims, we don't know the actual facts here on the show, but they claim they falsified these records, which is a, a crime, but it's a misdemeanor, but they did it in order to conceal. Listen to that word, to conceal an illegal conspiracy to undermine the presidential election. They wanted to hide it. How do you hide it? They say, they allege, they set up a shell corporation called Essential Consultants, LLC. It was set up. Money was funded into it. You see, that's how the DA gets to the proof. Here's a, here's a corporate document informing, uh, forming Essential Consultants, LLC. When was that formed? Well, that was formed in October 2016. How, how far away was the election? A couple, couple of weeks away. 
that was formed. Did the only business transacted out of Essential Corporation or Essential Consultants LLC is just one check? And so I don't know the answer to that, but that's the claim. If it was, what was it formed for? So one thing, a shell corporation, they allege, and the money was put through the shell corporation, and then they formed another shell corporation for woman number two. And therein goes the good old days of just old-fashioned bribery. I mean, you know, you got to look and you got to say that they've, they've now destroyed that, that crime, which is fine. I'm not complaining about it. But, you know, back years ago, if Gary Hart would have been able to pay somebody off to keep from talking about monkey business, maybe he would have been the next presidential candidate and the next president. Uh, what you, was her name, Donna Rice? Yeah, I think it was Donna Rice. I think Rice. it was Donna Rice. So, you know, you start going through the different things that, were go- that are going on and you start saying, where is that fine line? And we know that there's a DA in New York who says that fine line got crossed. We know that there are politicians who heard that line might have gotten crossed but didn't even know what it was all about. Or what the line was or where the line was drawn. Who said it's all right to, 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 to cross that line or who said that could never be a crime because it's a campaign entry. And, and you can't hold somebody responsible for campaign entries. No, no. Okay, so they formed these shell corporations. They had what they are claiming to be false invoices, invoices for uh, invoices for salt on your sidewalk, and it was really an invoice for a payoff. I'm just making that up as an example to help you understand it. They had false invoices, false checks, and money being being transferred, but they did it with the intent they claim to conceal improper influence on the 2016 election. Now look at the facts. The DA says, this is a release. You ought to read these releases of the Southern District of New York. It is fascinating reading. But in, in January of 2017, now, Trump is already president. January 2017, Cohen was seeking reimbursement for election-related expenses. And so he gave a statement. He gave a bank account, a new shell corporation called Essential Consultants Bank Account. Right? A shell corporation. And so he presented it with, and then he added an extra, an additional, quote, $50,000 for him. And so the facts are that they say they're going to prove is they took the $50,000, the company did, uh, and grossed it up. What does that mean? They added more money to it. They took the reimbursement of $180,000 to $360,000 and then added another bonus of $60,000. So the total payment to Michael Cohen was $420,000. When how much did he pay out to these two women? Two eighty. Two hundred and eighty thousand. And they grossed it up and paid him a bonus. And so the DA's hanging hanging his hat on these false invoices he claims, the false checks he claims, all done with the what? The intent, intent to commit a future crime. Which was and you don't have to do the crime. Which the intent the future crime they seem to be talking about here is the crime of trying to adversely or improperly influence an election. And so now the question is, where is that fine line drawn? Where are you illegally influencing election versus legally influencing election? And and where do we start making that decision? And have we said now that uh, any person who wants to run for office that cannot go back into their background or their history and get themselves in a position where they're not going to, uh, where they can hide some of the things they've done. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and so the, the press release from the Southern District of New York kind of comes up that Michael Cohen was billing. This is after Donald Trump's the president. 30, Michael Cohen's billing $35,000 a month for all these services. And they say the company accounted for these payments as legal expenses, which they weren't. And they say, in truth and fact, there was no retainer agreement with Michael Cohen. There were no legitimate monthly invoices. And the monthly invoices submitted by Cohen were not in connection with any legal services he provided in 2017. Now, I'm assuming somewhere along the line, they've got Trump's actual knowledge of this. Because you start to think about a huge business that you've got, and you start thinking about, is he really knowledgeable that all that's going on? How does he know what's going on, and how do you get it back to Trump? Or is he just responsible for whatever gets put in those books? And right, records? and it's like the Charlie Manson, La, Tate LaBianca murders. He wasn't at the scene, which, you know, that, that's kind of, that's, that makes it difficult on prosecutors. But, Brad, uh, I've seen and listened to one ta- secret tape recording Michael Cohen had in a conversation with, with Donald Trump, and he's saying, well, what are we, what are we going to do something like that? We're going to get some checks. He goes, no, cash, 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 cash. And so y- you as the prosecutor have to have specific proof for each check, each invoice, each bill, each act of Michael Cohen, and tie it back to Donald Trump so we haven't seen all the facts in this case. So what if Donald Trump would have taken the money out of his checking account and not ever put it on a book or record. Right. And called it a payout, payout for an NDA, NDA, a non-disclosure agreement. That's it. What if he would have done that and that's it? That wouldn't have been falsifying business records. It wouldn't have been falsifying business records. Um, yes. Whether it's a legitimate tax write-off or business expense, another question. Well, what if he never put it in as a write-off? What if he would have never put it in as a write-off, never never put in the false entries, never had the false statements made about it, right. and, and just simply went out and bought somebody's silence? Is that illegally, adversely uh, uh, influencing an election? Well, yeah, yeah that, that's the whole question. I mean, you and I know the, about those business transactions every day. There were some radio stations sold here in Denver where there was an NDA signed, uh, and then nobody was supposed to disclose the radio station was going to be sold or where it was going to go. And that sort of thing. So those are legitimate business transactions. But we're talking about the the prosecutor saying they've falsified business records in a major way. So you you go read the Southern District of New York's press releases. Uh, you're listening to Legal Anatomy of Current Events. We're so happy to bring this show to you every week. We try to cover the current events. I'm Gary Bell, along with Brad Pollock. Our law firm is Bell and Pollock. We're out of Denver, Colorado. You can look us up at our website anytime, championsofthepeople.com. You can also contact us at info, I-N-F-O, at legalanatomy.net if you'd like to. And now we get to the fun part of our show, Brad. We're going to talk about American idioms. You're going to give the idioms, uh, American idioms, and I'm going to give the quote of the day. And uh, this, let's have a little bit of fun doing this. Well, the American idiom is uh, trumped up charges. Now, I'm not saying these are trumped up charges against Mr. Trump, and I'm not saying they are not trumped up charges against Mr. Trump. I am saying, though, and I've made myself clear, I hopefully on this show today, that the, the fact that you had people coming out before they even knew what the charges were and declaring innocence or guilt uh, shows that either short-sightedness or that, that you've got a real concern about them. But the, the meaning of a trumped-up charge is, uh, is to concoct 
especially with the intent to deceive some type of charge or falsely accuse somebody of something. Uh, now, are these, quote, trumped up charges for, for Mr. Trump or not? We, we'll know. Probably, well. Who knows? I was going to say maybe in a year. Yeah, maybe in about maybe, a year. Maybe we'll never know because we don't know what bargain will be. You know, and let's don't forget our United States Constitution says everybody's innocent until they're proven guilty. The, the DA has the burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt, uh, period. But we didn't get into the show, and we thought about it, but we didn't. It's a, it's a defense lawyer's nightmare, nightmare in a criminal case when your client wants to take the stand. I mean, you do everything as a, as a criminal defense lawyer that you can to not get your client to take the stand. But sometimes people want to take the stand. Okay, my quote of the day today ending this show is as follows. In one minute, you can change your attitude. And in that minute, you can change your entire day. All right, Gary Bell, Brad Pollock, Legal Anatomy of Current Events. We'll see you next week.